So the, the organ donation industry is, it's, it's a pretty nasty one. Um, it's essentially one life for another. So it's, you know, you, you give, you give an organ to, to save, uh, save another life. And, and there is never a surplus of supply. Welcome Getting There fans, I'm your host Alejandro Garcia Maya. 20 people die each day waiting for organ transplants. On today's show we have Eric Gattenholm, the CEO and co-founder of Cellink, a company that developed the first universal bioink that is compatible with any cell type in any 3D bioprinting system. What does Cell Inc.'s technology mean for organ donation? In this episode, Eric and I discuss the history and the plausible future of 3D printing. Eric answers a number of questions such as what is bioprinting? What is bioink made out of? How can printing 3D cells save lives? Where did the idea for Cell Inc. come from? And much more. Let's get started. Your father was the one that showed you that you can print human organs? Or yes, was it, it was. It was. And what was your, what was your initial reaction to that or how, <laughs> how did that take place? So, so I was um, back in 2014, I had, I had been running another company for, for seven years in Virginia. I just made an exit. I, um, I realized that I wanted to continue to educate myself. So I, I got into a school in Gothenburg. So the, the city where I was born mm. and, um, uh, being dual citizen. So I'm, so I'm both an American citizen, but also a Swedish one. I could get tuition free of charge to study in, in Sweden, which was, was highly beneficial. So I decided to go, go to Sweden to do my MBA. And at that time, my, my father was running a lab. He's, he's a professor in biomaterials. So he was running a lab here in Gothenburg uh, focusing on 3D printing of novel materials. So, so developing materials that can be used for tissue engineering or regenerative medicine and a wide range of medical applications. So he brought me to his lab one day and I said, hey, you know, this, you, you got to see this. At that point, he showed me this, this printer. It was this massive printer, huge, very complex and complicated tubes and, and cables and stuff everywhere. Mm. Uh, big metal piece, right? And and then he printed out this tiny little ear. It was, it was made of this white material that was like very, very cartilage-like. And then he said, hey, you know, this, is, this could potentially print out cartilage. This, this could be human cartilage. Wow. And at the point, it was like, oh, stop, you know. <laughs> oh, <this is> madness. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. so, so there at that point, I, I realized that there is a, a, a massive opportunity and a new industry that's coming about. How did you end up creating Cell Inc. and why Inc.? So at the point when my father showed me the, you know, the printer and the technology, he also mentioned that he, you know, the material that he had printed out was, was something that he had developed over the last, you know, eight, nine years. And, and he was very proud of, you know, bringing this material to fruition because the potential was that you put in human cells in this material and then you could grow the cartilage, right? So, you, so it was the missing puzzle piece in the bioprinting industry mm. and and you know putting two and two together we realized we started looking around for 
finding an ink for these printers, these, these very big printers, and there was nothing on the market. All right, so we would do early Google searches. We would we'd try to go out to the printer companies and ask them, hey, you know, which inks do you guys use? And, and we would realize that there is no standardized ink on the market. So each individual that had this printer or had a printer was using their own form yeah, of yeah. ink. They were trying to make their own ink, right? And if, if they weren't trying to make their own ink, they were, they were most likely not in this field of research. So, mm. so they had not thought about it, or maybe they thought about entering it, but it was too complex, right? So they would buy this printer. The printer's cost, you know, at that point it was $200,000 wow. for a bioprinter. And, you know, getting into that field as a researcher, you don't, you don't have a material, you don't have protocols or instructions, and, and then you justify buying something for $200,000. That's, that's, that's tricky. I think that's tricky. <laughs> so, so we realized, hey, there's, there's, there's a massive opportunity here. If we take this material and we commercialize it as a standardized ink that can be used with all of these printers on the market, then, then we could make an impact, right? We can make a tremendous impact in the field because now these researchers that have been trying to make their own solution They'll just buy an off-the-shelf solution. They'll spend most of their time and money instead on the actual research instead of trying to come up with a formulation. So with the material in hand, we realized, okay, why don't we just go and approach essentially everybody out there that has a printer and say, hey, here's an ink. You know, just, just buy the ink and then you can start printing tissues. So we did that. But then we realized that because of the price point of those printers, the market was very limited. There were only the, the most highly funded researchers that could afford these printers. So biomaterial professors at Harvard or MIT or, or uh, researchers at, at Princeton and, and, and Yale and institutions as such. And that wasn't enough. I mean, that would be, that would be maybe 50 customers. Right. In the world. So, I mean, so, so, that, so that wasn't enough. So what we realized was that, you know, again, so the price point was way too high and it was prohibitive. So it was prohibitive to, to researchers. People would come up to us and say, oh, we, we love this. Like we love the ink idea and we love the concept. We've never heard about bioprinting before, but now we have. How do we get started? Mm. For us, we were like, well, one cartridge of ink is $99. So that's affordable for them. And they were like, oh yeah, we can buy that. But what about a printer? And we would say, well, you know, you can go down, down the road and you can get a system for $200,000 and that would just say, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, thanks. (laughs) No, thanks. (laughs) Bye. So at that point we said, let's develop the world's most cost effective bioprinter and let's disrupt this field. So, so we launched the first printer September, 2015. And that was, um, that was $4,999. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and the name of it was incredible because the, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So it was, but it was spelled I N K. So it was a pun, right? Mm, because it was yeah. for ink, ink for different yeah. inks. So that was our, I think that was our breakthrough. The packaging of a standardized ink with a cost effective printer and the will to continuously improve. Wow. Why is it that a lot of these individuals would use the printers what what are things that are affected by this you know for the last hundred hundred years we've been culturing ourselves in a so-called 2d environment 
So, you know, we take human cells and we can take them out of patients. We can buy them online. I mean, there's, there's many ways to get human cells. Most laboratories, they have them already inside their incubators. But you take your cells and you culture them in a 2D environment, and that's called a 2D cell culture. Right? Mm -hmm. So you have a dish, a, a little glass dish or a plastic dish, and you put those cells in the bottom, and then you feed those cells every day. And then you count them and you see, at, uh, see, you see them grow. And after a couple of days or weeks, they're ready to, used for, to be used for experiments, right? So you can test different drugs on those cells. So for instance, you could have, you could have heart cells, cardiomyocytes, and those heart cells, they could be at the bottom of the dish. And then, you know, after a couple of days, you could take a, a new drug and you can put that drug on those heart cells. You can see if those heart cells beat faster or they beat slower or if they live or die. So you can study all of these things in the 2D environment. However, in the last couple of years, I mean, last, probably last decade or so, scientists and researchers have started to realize that a 2D cell culture is not as realistic as a 3D cell culture. So if there would be a way for us to take these cells, these, this single layer of cells, and stack it into multiple layers, then we would suddenly be faced with some, something called a 3D cell culture. And that would mean that these cells, they would be positioned not only or on a horizontal, um, horizontal phase, they would be interacting horizontally, diagonally, vertically. They would interact just like they would inside of the body. Because, I mean, the body is a 3D environment. So it's closer to a natural state. It's, a cl it's closer to a natural state. But the problem is that you could do it by hand, right? So you could take a pipette or a syringe and you can, you can take some gel, some ink, and then you could put cells in that ink and then you can make different layers of it. The problem of it is that you don't get a reproducible environment. So if you, if you want to test a new drug, you want to be able to print or have that same structure at least 100 times, right? Because you want to, you want to test the compound or the drug at least 100 times to get some kind of representable data because it's not enough to test it, test it just once. So to really make it reproducibly, you need some kind of robot or so, some kind of machine. And that's what the printer is for. It's, it's just a positioning robot that, that enables the scientist to, to dispense or, or print this highly biological material in a very predefined pattern pattern or structure and and what makes it even more exciting is that that structure or that pattern that they're printing it's based on how it would look inside of the body so for instance you could look at bone tissue and bone tissue is is quite porous so you could print something that would resemble the bone tissue not only from a biological perspective that it would contain different um bioactive ingredients that, that would make the cells react in certain ways, but also in a way that it would look like bone. And that would make those cells um, thrive in that environment. First of all, that's an amazing explanation. For, for me to understand 90% of what you just said right oh, there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're very smart. It's I, impressive. Not... It's impressive. When you say gel, what, what, type, what type of gel and what type and, and normally, what is injected in this that everyone can play around with? Yeah. So, so the gel or the ink is, is made out of a wide range of materials. And what we do is that what makes, what makes our company so, so, um, 
So special in this field is that we understand materials or we understand gels really, really well, right? So if we look at muscle tissue, for instance, muscle tissue is, is, is made up of a lot of collagen and, and it's made out of a lot of fibers. So you have muscle fibers mm-hmm. and typically quite elastic. So it has a, an elastic environment. So those cells that live in your muscle or, or that, that, that build your muscle, essentially, mm-hmm. they have to live in a very elastic environment. So with that information in mind, we go back to the drawing board and we say, okay, so first of all, we need something that's elastic so that the cells, the muscle cells, you know, they will thrive in that environment. Second of all, they need collagen, right? So we need to find collagen in the in natural environment and bring that into the lab and, and, and make it a gel out of that. And then lastly, we need to provide some other components to make that gel or that ink printable so that, you, so, you know, so that it's not too... Uh, low viscosity or too high viscosity, but that is just perfect. And and that's taken us many, many years of, of, of research to really uh, understand how to make those gels optimized for these types of purposes. But we could get, we could get materials from, for instance, the forest industry. So we have um, one of our ink is made out of uh, cellulose from, from, from wood and, mm. and alginate from, uh, from seaweed. And we mix those two components together, and that seems to be a, an ideal environment for cartilage cells. So it's, it's a gel, and then we combine it with another component that makes it a little bit more bioactive, and that's, that's alginate. And then we put in a, a couple of more components to make it a little bit more cell-friendly, and, and then we finalize it for, for as an ink. What does this mean in, in terms of positive impact? I know that uh, one of the things we came across was organ donation. Yep. And, and the lack of, uh, here, here are some facts. The lack of transplant tissues is estimated to be the leading cause of death in America. Around 900,000 deaths a year, or around one-third of all deaths in the U.S. could be prevented or delayed by organ or engineered tissue transplant. So what are other places that, that you see could be impacted by this? So the, the organ donation industry, is, it's, it's a pretty nasty one. Um, it's essentially one life for another. So it's, you know, you, you, give, you give an organ to, to save, uh, save another life and, and there is never a surplus of supply. That's, that's of course the golden opportunity for us. That's, that's what we're burning for, that's our vision. The entire company is, um, you know, working so passionately to create a solution to reduce the need for transplanting organs or, or, or moving organs from, from one patient to another. We want to somehow help with that shortage. Mm. And ideally, we want, to, we want to be the provider of the technology um, that, can, that can reduce that, that, uh, that issue and that challenge. And, and to do that, we have to continuously improve our technology because we understand it's, it's quite a long path. I mean, to get to the organ transplantation industry and start... start um, Picking away on it, it's, it's 10, 15 years at least. Mm. And it's going to start with more simple organs such as cartilage tissue or, or skin or, hu- or human corneas and things like that because those are, quite, quite frankly, they're, they're easier to print or they're easier to work with. Mm. But the beauty of the technology is that it has a tremendous impact already today because, as I mentioned, kind of like the ability to do uh, – 3D cell culturing versus just doing a 2D cell culture, that gives pharmaceutical companies a 
an opportunity to test their drugs and their new compounds on a more sophisticated platform. So what that, what that gives them is that it give, gives them the ability to understand at an earlier stage if a drug will work on humans even before you start going into the animals. Mm. So if you print, for instance, a human heart tissue and you print a little human uh, liver piece and, and you test your, your new drugs on those human liver pieces, for instance, um, you, will, you will understand at an earlier stage what this drug could potentially do on a full-size human liver. Wow. And if it's, if it's injuring or destroying that environment and killing all those cells, well, then you should understand that it will most likely do the same thing in the human body during the clinical trials. Throughout the years, have, has there been a shift or a transition from less animals to what you're mentioning? It's, I, I haven't looked at the correlation, uh, but I think the, this is a, a shift or this is a, a change in the industry that is just starting to happen. For instance, in the cosmetic industry, uh, back in 2013, so just a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, the European Union, they banned the use of animals for developing uh, cosmetic products. But the best part is that they realized that, hey, there are so many other alternative models to use when testing our cosmetic products that we don't have to test it all on animals. It's, it's, it's simply not, you know, it's simply just not the solution anymore. We, we have better technologies out there. I think that eventually in the future, uh, it could be in the near future, it could be in, in, in 20 years, but I think that Without a doubt, the rate of animal studies is going to decline. And we're going to start using more alternative testing platforms that are going to be based on human tissues. They're going to be based on printed tissues. They're going to be used on, on 3D cell cultured cells. Um, and that movement is starting to happen. And it's so exciting because we see it's happening because of the availability of the wide range of technologies. Not just things that Cellink is doing, but what other biohacking companies or, or, or other disruptors in this industry are doing. Everybody's essentially coming together to understand, hey, listen, you know, we're spending a billion dollars to develop a drug. And throughout the process, you know, when we, after eight years of development, we realized that, oh, this drug is not going to work on humans. It worked <laughs> on animals, but it's not going to work on humans. Mm-hmm. So we've been testing our drugs on these poor animals. We've been, we've been relying on the model, but in the end, it still didn't work. So, so we have to develop ways for pharmaceutical companies to, to fail faster and mm. fail more economically and, and to find more, uh, more suitable platforms. And what would that look like for you in terms of where you are now, where you would like to be for them to be able to fail faster? So, so of course, the, the rate of adoption of the technology and, and, and be able to work closer with these pharma companies and understand what, what they're doing and what their needs are. Uh, pharma companies are typically very, very secretive, of course, of their, of their research, as they should yeah. be. But we had the, uh, recently, we, we signed a very fortunate uh, a partnership with uh, AstraZeneca, or, or used to be MedImmune, uh, but they were acquired by AstraZeneca, um, where we're going to you know, utilize our technology platform to provide uh, a wide range of tissues or, or, or tissue models that can be utilized for, for toxicology or screening. So, so we're already in the field. We're moving heavily towards uh, being better at implementing this. And, and we're just, you know, we're just expanding, keep growing and keep finding better partners and, and, and keep doing. I think that's, that's what it's going to take. Have you, uh, have you watched uh, Black Mirror at all? It grabs certain technologies and 
sheds what the negative consequences of those technologies can look like? What would be the black mirror consequence of something like this? That's, that's a great question. So, um, you know, ethically speaking, I think at, at this stage, it's, it's a very, very positive technology that's, that's impacting the field uh, tremendously. And, and, and I think we're, we're, still, we're still trying to figure out, you know, what could be potential downsides with it. Hmm. Of course, you know, one of the downsides, or not a downside, but one of the major challenges today is, of course, do we know that what we're printing is actually, for instance, liver tissue? Is it, you know, is it closely resembling the uh, liver tissue enough so that we can actually utilize it for toxicology testing and things like that? So I think those aspects are going to grow and improve throughout time. But then, of course, I mean, if you know, if you, if you think about it, okay, what if you print a human, you know, what if you print human brain tissue? Mm. And what happens in there, right? What, what is going to go on in that tissue when those nerves start uh, start to interact and pulses are being sent. What what do you really create? Wow! And mm-hmm. and that's the I mean that's of course taking it really really far. But the question is always you know what is the real potential of this technology and what are and I what mean, are things that we can make better? Right. I was going to say and then the positive side too would be uh, testing for all sorts of things. Where are we in terms of? printing with liver and heart. Yeah, so, so I think, you know, so for, for, for printing those more sophisticated or complex um, tissue models, we're, we're getting there, and a lot of scientists are doing some, some, some amazing work with it. Um, you know, they, they've, they've been able to print uh, liver tissue that's showing great functionality. They've been able to print skin tissue that's showing great functionality. Um, heart tissue that's beating. So, so it's... So, we're definitely moving in the right direction. And I think the, uh, the next step is just keep doing and keep improving the materials, keep improving the protocols and just work at it. I mean, so this is, you know, if you compare this to the technology um, 3D printing of metals. Mm. So just recently, metal uh, 3D printed components are being used for implantation. So for instance, hip, hip transplants or knee replacements. Uh, and the reason why we're using that is because it's it's a lot easier to create a fitting implant if it's customized, right? So you can scan the the patient's knee or you can scan the patient's hip. Um, you can you can make an exact replica of the bone that's there, and then you can replace it with a titanium piece. So that took you know the metal three D print, printing industry at least twenty years. Hmm. I mean it's it's. It's a very, very long process, and that's even a non-biological material. But what's <laughs> right. exciting with it is that it's happening, and, and, and the FDA is doing the right, um, the right steps. They're, they're, they're putting in guidelines for 3D printing. They're, they're putting in guidelines and start, starting to learn and understand the impact of bioprinting. Um, and I think you know, we, there are no guidelines out there yet, but I think that's something that we're, we're all hoping to see in the future. And, and and that will, I think, will speed up the process for companies to go for more uh, implantable tissues. So that will speed up the entire field, I think. Where would you want uh, Cell Inc. to be 10 years from now or 15 10 years? Um, a, a, massive, a massive company that focuses on providing uh, revolutionary and groundbreaking technologies that enables researchers and scientists to, to do better science. So really focusing on providing... Uh, the tools and the, uh, you know, the, the pickaxe and shovels to the experts that they can do their job even better. 
and not at a price that that uh, you know that they have to give away an arm or a leg at an affordable have, price. Have uh, have you dealt with the Latin American region yet in terms of uh, starting to starting to and and, and that's a um, you know from a research standpoint, it's a very very highly knowledgeable area. The entire the entire South American field for for research, you have countries like Brazil and Mexico. You have, mm. you have countries which have somewhat a little bit more funding than others. And of course, with the even at our price point, the technology is perhaps still not as affordable. And we have to provide potentially even higher discounts and higher, mm. uh, even lower price points to to penetrate into those those markets. But what we see is that researchers from uh, from countries from Latin American countries. They're very eager to get into this, and they're very, very passionate about it. So have there been partnerships with uh, certain foundations that are all about being able to enhance the science and technology and all these things? Or, or is that not as common when you're, when you're in the, you know, a C corporation? And, um... no, I think not, not, not yet. I think that's something that we'll definitely start looking into and seeing how we can, how we can, tie us together with a lot more um, both funding organizations, but also nonprofit organizations that are working in, in that type of field. You know, we want to take things stepwise, right? So uh, we don't want to be the ones to come out with a, you know, big flag and say, you know, in 20, 2030, we're going to reduce, you know, the organ transplant, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, issue by 16% or something like that. You know, we want to, we want to take it stepwise and, and start by growing with the researchers. Because it's kind of like, you know, if you, if, you, if you take that position of being too aggressive and saying, we're, you know, we don't care, we're going to make it happen, then it's kind of like, I think you lose a lot of researchers and you lose a lot of, you lose a lot of um, credibility. I think it's a, it's a stepwise process where you have to really grow with the scientists. And the scientists, they actually, they're the ones who have to lead this process. They're the ones who have to tell us, you know, which direction to, to keep pointing. Are we doing the right thing now? Are we, you know, is the technology that we're providing too difficult or is it, is it still too expensive? Is it, you know, where are we on that scale? And, and, and then just keep improving it for them. What's, what's the biggest obstacle that you're, uh, you're facing right now? Uh, recruitment is a big one, right? So finding, we're always looking for brilliant talent, talents and, and, and finding people from, uh, from the best institutes and, and the, the most, the most passionate individuals that are, are really willing to make an impact and dedicate their lives towards it. That's, that's always challenging because I mean, it's a, it's, it's a very, very big world and, and, and there are a lot of people out there and, and, and bringing people into the company and, and finding locations that fit that, that suit them and, and, and things like that. That's, that's always a challenge. And, and I think the biggest challenge in recruitment is, is expanding fast enough. We're always, we're always a step behind when it comes to recruitment. We always wish we had one more sales rep or we always wish we had one more <laughs> scientist or one more marketing you know, expert or, or one more stem cell scientist and things like that. Uh, but I think that's the nature of the business. I mean, we, we're, we're fortunate enough to grow that rapidly that, that we, um, we're always on the look, lookout for, for the best talent. Is there anything else you'd like to share that uh, we haven't covered? Anything that that you, uh, you want to make sure we cover? We're always hiring. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think the, I think the, you know, the most, so, so, so I'm really appreciative of you taking the time and I'm, I really, I really appreciate that you, you, thank you. 
shedding a light on this because I think the, uh, you know, the biotech industry is, it's getting sexier, but it's not sexy. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's, yeah. it's a lot, you know, it's, it's a lot sexier to talk about, you know, AI and how, how we can, uh, you know, how we can affect politics with, with algorithms and how we can, you know, do things with Facebook and things like that. And that's always something that's, that's bringing a lot of attention, but you know, the biotech field is just starting to come about in, in coming to about to be more sexy. And I think that's, that's something that I want listeners and, and, and people around the world to, to start to understand that is, you know, there is a movement that's going on and that's the movement, the biological revolution is what we call it. That is the, uh, you know, transplants and implants and, and medical devices, they're all going to be smarter. They're going to be better. They're going to be more adjusted towards how we humans are. We're going to come to a point where we stop using materials that are uh, very hard and, and, and could damage us, such as titanium or plastics we're going to get to that point and it's good to, to get on that train now. So, so, you know, one of the things that we really love doing at the company is to inspire and motivate uh, high school students and, and even younger generations to, to educate them and, and, and get them involved in, in bioprinting and getting them involved in science and say, Hey, you know, why don't you go for science when you go for, you know, when you're looking for a, for a college degree, go for biology or, or chemistry and, and find the passion in, in doing something really amazing um, with science. Well, that's this week's episode of Getting There. Thank you all for listening to the Getting There podcast. Very much appreciated. Be sure to visit gettingtherepodcast.com to learn about more leaders solving the world's most pressing problems through our videos, games, blogs, and more. If you are or have a friend who's a social impact leader using scalable technology to find sustainable solutions for world-pressing problems, please reach out to my team and I at guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. That is guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. Catch a new episode every Tuesday. If you enjoyed the show and want to spread love back to my team and I, please make sure to subscribe and rate us. Have a wonderful day. And as my grandfather would say, adelante y arriba.